Welcome to the October 14th, 2021 edition of the Science Fiction Club. And we have a small group today. We have three people. Um, if we stick with tradition, Roger will go first if he wants to be the traditional one today. What do you think, Martin? Is that okay? Yeah, it's okay. Okay, Roger, if you want to go first, you go ahead and tell us what you have. Okay, I have an audience, an audience of two. But considering that people may download this as a podcast, I have a potential audience of millions of people around the world. Yes, potentially. Yeah, yeah I doubt that I will actually get millions, though. In any case, I bring you any win. That's A-N-Y-W-H-E-N by James Blish. It is an anthology. And let me first say something about James Blish. Um, I picked this up from the book's um, page at Goodreads, down to the part about the author. Um, James Blish was born in 1921, so I note that he would be turning 100 years old this year. In fact, he... Uh, was born in the first half of 1921, so he would already be over 100 years old now, but he didn't make it that far. Um, I remember a long time ago reading his Cities in Flight stories, and I very much enjoyed them. They made me something of a James Blish fan, but later on he became better known probably as an adapter for Star Trek he started taking screenplays of Star Trek shows and um, writing them in literary form, adapting them to literary forms and put out one Star Trek book after another. <clears throat> and in fact, he was in the middle of writing Star Trek 12 in 1975 when he died and his wife finished up Star Trek 12, and I guess there was not a Star Trek 13 in that case. He also wrote the first Star Trek novel on his own that was not based on any screenplay. It was called Spock Must Die. And I found it interesting that he worked for a long time as, well, he worked for the Tobacco Institute. And... Mm. Uh, well, the Tobacco Institute, the whole point of it is to promote the use of tobacco and make plenty of profits for the tobacco companies. So you just know that if somebody's going to work for them, they're going to be a pretty heavy smoker. So I don't think it's ironic that he died at the age of 54 in 1975 from lung cancer. <laughs> but in any case, nope. in this book, Anywhen, this was originally published in 1971. And by the way, this is another one I got from Bookshare, um, doing a search for science fiction books that in good condition so I could read them and report any problems with them to Bookshare. Um, most of the stories were published through the 1960s. There's one that was published in the 1950s, but all the rest were in the 1960s. And he points out that they were written on commission. 
That is, instead of writing a story and submitting it to an editor, the editors came to him and said, will you please write us a story about such and such? And in fact, um, you usually think of the illustrations in a science fiction uh, magazine as illustrating the story, but that's not necessarily entirely true. The story could very well illustrate the um, artwork. And there was one example he gave. An editor sent him a piece of artwork done by a science fiction artist that showed a spaceship that was surrounded by aliens with crossbows. And he was asked, write a story that this will illustrate. <laughs> so what's he going to come up with? Well, he came up with Earth people landing on an alien planet and making contact with the natives. And he uh, goes into some Earth history, too, about when the, new, when the um, Europeans discovered the Americas and started sending people to exploit the Americas and the colonize and so on. Um, they had to contend with the people who already lived there. But one thing that made them made the job much easier for them was that they brought European diseases that they had a lot of immunity to, to the Americas where the people had no immunity to it. And good grief, they wiped out the Native Americans like crazy with um, smallpox, especially. And of course, the Europeans brought syphilis back to Europe, but it wasn't quite nearly as devastating to the Europeans as smallpox <clears throat> was to the Native Americans. But in any case, there are at least two stories in this book where he makes reference to that bit of history. So it must be something he was fascinated by. As it turns out, the spaceship that lands on the planet ends up infecting the natives with some kind of terrible disease that uh, kind of devastates them. Something like about 90% of their population die. And they recognize that it was the Earthmen who brought it to them. And they are very suspicious that it was brought to them on purpose, that it was um, intentional genocide. So <clears throat> they decide to fight back and they head to the spaceship and the encampment that's been set up there and attack the earth people with the most advanced weapons they have, crossbows. And they wipe out quite a few of the earth people and um, a minority of them managed to escape. So you kind of have a two-way massacre there all because diseases were brought. And this leads to something else I found out about James Blish. He actually got a degree at Rutgers University in biology. And soon after he got his degree, he served in World War II as an army medic. So I might not have noticed this when you're dealing with stories about alien beings 
you have to come up with some kind of explanations for um, their life cycles and their form and stuff like that. So um, stories dealing with alien beings tend to be biological by nature. But um, when I'm thinking that he had a degree in biology and I come across these stories where the aliens are being infected with some kind of terrible disease, I'm thinking that maybe it's the fact that he had a degree in biology that is um, that made him think in terms of that, come up with this biological theme. And in fact, pretty much all the stories in this volume do have a biological theme. Um, I just kind of wonder if that came out of his degree in biology. Um, but there were at least two stories where the Earth people give the aliens um, diseases. All in all, I would say most of the stories in this volume would be described as space opera with a biological theme. They are space opera in that it is usually um, out in space, humans are encountering space aliens and either have conflicts with them or friendly interactions or whatever. So I guess you'd call this space opera. And let me refer to another story here. There's one in which there are these aliens that he likens to marsupials. Um, the way he describes it, though, they sure didn't seem like marsupials to me. With marsup marsupials, uh, think opossums and kangaroos and what have you. They reproduce by giving birth to, um, well, actually, it's kind of like fetuses. They are they have a lot of development to go out upon birth. They're not, you know, if it, um, it's as if the pregnancy isn't quite finished, but they do have enough ability that they can crawl into a pouch and continue their development there. So here you have this alien being that he describes as being like a marsupial, except the babies don't crawl into a pouch. It's um, as if the females of this species have two sets of reproductive organs. They gestate the, their baby aliens in a uterus, and then they give birth through a pelvis, just like earth mammals do, except that um, they aren't fully formed yet. And they crawl back in, and there happens to be two gestational wounds and two sets of pelvises. So they crawl into another one and gestate some more and then come out through the bigger pelvis. Now, I'm trying to imagine what would you look like if you had two pelvises Mm -hmm. uh, um, I just can't quite picture that too well. He and, should have pictured it in the book. Uh, yeah, there might have been an <laughs> illustration for all I know, but um, yeah. of course I wouldn't be able to see that. But he could have described them a little bit. A lot of 
authors like to describe their aliens. <laughs> in any case, though, um, this book was listed as being in good condition, and uh, it really was pretty good, except that something about the pages were messed up. Um, I was reading it on my Victor Reader track, and it was reporting that I was on page whatever that was did not match with what the text said the page was. So I reported it, and they got back to me and said that they've confirmed that, and they're going to rescan it. So as I go through these good rated books on Bookshare one by one, I'm causing them to be rescanned one by one and better copies are going up. Did it say so, anything about being repaginated for ASCII or something like that at the beginning? Um, I don't recall that. No. Cause some of these books and I'm actually rescanned. I've rescanned a couple and I'm working on the second one. And I'll tell you about the first one. Um, they say repaginated at the beginning. So there are two sets of page numbers. Uh, one is what their computer did. And the other one is the ones that are actually in the book. And they're not always the same. Um, and I know because the ones in the book, often the ones I'm rescanning have their headers still in them. So you can see a page break. In the Braille version, there's a line of dashes where the page breaks are the official page breaks. And then there are other page breaks uh, where the page numbers in the actual book are and the name of the author and the name of the book on odd and even numbered pages are still in there. So there's two sets of page numbers in these books. That, that might be, uh, have been what was mm -hmm. going on. But, yep. if, you know, if you just read it straight through and don't do it, tried to navigate around in it, it shouldn't be a problem. Right. But in in any case, they said that they're going to get another copy anyway. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested in reading it, it's readable the way it is, but I guess it'll be better the way it's going to be. So in any case, there you have it. Um, it's Any Win by James Blish. And now I guess it's somebody else's turn here isaac asimov did not think much of books that where humans gave aliens diseases or aliens gave human diseases he said that that would be like a human being getting dutch elm disease or something the chemistry would be too different there's not much of a chance that a disease could cross over from humans to aliens and as a biologist i would have thought james blish would have known that well, keep in mind when he got his biology degree. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he was, was born forty or whatever. Yeah, he was born in nineteen twenty-one. Yeah, so it would have been the late thirties or early forties, and immediately afterwards, he went to work as a medic in the army. And World War Two was going on, so yeah, there's been a lot of advance in biology since he got his degree. Okay. We'll give them some slack then. All right. Martin, I haven't read those Cities in Flight books, though. I've been tempted to take a look at them. I, I'm, I am actually thinking about reading them. I tried a Star Trek novelization, and I just couldn't get through it. I, I was used to the sound effects and the, you know, and everything and the music and everything, and it just, it just seemed flat, you know, trying to read a novelization. The, the Cities in Flight books, 
I read them a very long time ago. I think I was still a teenager at the time. Um, so if I go back and read some books that I really enjoyed back then, they don't seem quite as sophisticated now. True. I, I don't know about Cities in Flight, but I, because I haven't read them since, but I mean, I really liked those. That made me kind of a James Bliss fan mm -hmm. way back when. Yeah. Yeah, I, we didn't have much Blish other than the a couple of those. Well, at least one of them. I don't know if we had others. Uh, I don't remember any other James Blish books when I was in the school library in Braille or talking book back in the early 70s. Um, so um, didn't get much exposure to them at the time other than the Star Trek novelization. And that might not have been the best place to start because he wasn't using his own creativity as much. Um, Martin. Yes. What do you think? Did you read anything? Well, you remember you have I, something from... Remember a couple of... Um, I don't know if it was last meeting or the meeting before I mentioned to you that I was reading a book by Alistair Reynolds called Absolution Gap. That's right. Yeah, that's the third book in the series. Right. And... I must admit that I cannot, I think it's beyond my ability to, to, to grasp the full, the full it's, grandeur or the width of, of the plot. It's long so, too. It was seven, 27 hours, I think. And there's so many different threads of narrative going on in there. I, I assume one would consider it to be a space opera. But yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, the, the, the name absolute absolution gap, refers to on one of the on, on a, one of the planets and this takes place way in the future i think 2700 something and humanity is scattered through the, the, the so different solar systems and apparently they're they've come up against something called the in the conjoiners and i'm not exactly sure what they are except they're some humans have taken on aspects of the conjoiners but on the, on one of these planets they have there's this bridge that they discover crossing a very, very finely built bridge crossing this big gap. And they don't know who built it, if it was built by Allens or not. But at the same time, on the same planet, you have this, this church that has cathedrals that are constantly moving around the planet. So I, I really, you know, I, I, I try to read a summary of it in um, Wikipedia and <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even understand all the all the different aspects they were talking about. Well, there stuff. there were the inhibitors in there also. The Maybe aliens who were trying to. Yeah, right. you were thinking of the inhibitors. Right. Okay. Inhibitors, the conjoiners right. were humans who kind of became a like a group mind. They were connected. You know, they had implants. But I think both were, of them were in the in the book. Or at least yes. Yes. I, I I that was the first book I did for Bookshare. Oh, Believe really? it or not, back in 2006. Now, I don't remember much detail about it now, but I'm tempted to read them again at some point if I, you know, have I mean, time I to get around say, to it. But, I wish but I, that was the first book I scanned, and I actually read that in Braille and then put it up for Bookshare, wow. and it got approved in January of 2006. That was my first book. Um, because it wasn't up there at the time. And so I, I, I was, I was, I wanted to read, you know, the rest of the series and NLS didn't have it. Um, it took them all many years to get the sequels to Revelation Space for some reason. Um, so, did, did someone I, did, leave? 
you did mention that if I had read started in the beginning, it yeah. might make more sense. It know. might. Yeah, there was Revelation Space and then Redemption Arc and then Absolution Gap. You kind of get a theme there right. if you were thinking about the titles. Right, because uh, you, have, you have characters like there's one of the main characters in is Scorpio. And he, and he turns out to be a, a pig. In other words, apparently sometime in one of the earlier books, the pigs became um, intelligent to the point of view that, to the, to the degree that they, that, you know, they, they're on equal with humans. So mm -hmm. he was one of the principal characters in this book. And there was a whole ton of others, but I, I must admit it's, it was really beyond me to fully grasp and to be able to describe the total narrative. All right. Andrew has left. He came and left. Oh, okay. I wasn't even aware. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Um, well, I did a. I will. Uh, uh, is that you? Is there was something else you wanted to talk about? No, I plenty think, of time since nobody I know. else. <laughs> That's the, the, the next book I'll bring you next month is just as bad. <laughs> oh, just as bad, huh? Just as bad mean, for me. The fact that it's it's again a mm -hmm. hard thing to understand. <laughs> I think I need mm -hmm. a simple science fiction book where you know you're land on a planet you or mm. deal with aliens or not have these from all well, you can't do it what, what's the title you have to tell us the title at least oh the one i'm going to be looking at um yeah about salvation it has salvation in the title salvation. oh I, that's another p that's peter that's, hamilton exactly peter hamilton yeah oh yeah that's the first in this trilogy which i enjoyed even though i think the first story put some people off because um I think it's probably a little longer than it needed to be, but he's good at writing long stories generally. Yeah, that's a trilogy also. And the narrator is, both books are narrated by English people because I guess these uh, are English authors. Yes. So, so the, the, the Salvation thing has a lot of London dialect in it. <laughs> it's sort of weird. Yeah, um, I, I like those. I don't think they're his best work, but I enjoyed them nonetheless, especially well, I'll, the, I'll the attempt final to, I'll attempt You can to stick with it. Yeah. All right. I did a book for Bookshare that got approved. And I want to mention here that um, Ann Parsons, who's, who used oh, yeah. to come pretty often, uh, passed away right. uh, recently. And she was actually proofreading this book. And I was wondering what was taking her so long because she usually was, you know, didn't take, you know, extremely long to proofread the books. And then, but I didn't write to her. I didn't pester her because I know she was having health problems, but it seemed like she was recovering. And then I hear, you know, that she was in hospice and I said, Oh, okay. Well then I understand, you know, why she didn't get, you know, to the book. Uh, but Lissy took it. Um, it's the first book. It's called the Boar maker. B O H R B O H R is the name, uh, maker. It's a, the first book in, something called the nanotech succession by linda nagata and the book is listed as excellent in bookshare or was the one that was up there but i wrote up there were there were like split words and and headings on the pages and there was double pages like i was talking about that might have been you know the thing that roger had um and so i rescanned it and read it and then lissy read it and it got approved yesterday and it is about, I'm not going to give too much away, but I'll just briefly say the first book, um, and there's, these are not direct sequels. They take place in the same universe and one takes place after the other, but the characters are all different, mostly, almost all different. 
Um, and this one is about, um, well, the society is pretty high tech, but there are limits. And, and there are places where there are slums. I mean, in, I mean, our society is pretty high tech too, but there's still a lot of slums around. The inequality is pretty high. Um, and it's pretty high in this book also, but there are places and, and a lot of places and there are people out in space and, and um, there, there's a limited amount of um, implants and nanotechnology and stuff like that. But there are limits on how you're allowed to use it. And this book is about this nanotech device that was made and was uh, sequestered by the police, but they didn't actually destroy the file of it. Once you know how to, you know, if you have a file on how to make something, then you can make it again. So this guy whose name's Nyko, rhymes with psycho, they point out, even though it's spelled N-I-K-K-O, um, he is genetically modified, but he was allowed, he was only allowed to live for a certain amount of time. His, his father, so to speak, has a lot of influence. He's very wealthy and he was able to get um, him approved to modify his son to live out in space without a spacesuit. But he is dying. His nervous system starting to break down because he's only allowed to live, I forget for how many decades, a few decades or four decades, whatever. And so he wants to get a hold of this Bohr maker. Maker is her name for a nanotech device that can make or change things or, or make new things. And he wants to get a hold of it so that he can um, stop himself from degenerating which is what, you know, part of his genetic makeup was that he had to die after a certain period. So um, he gets somebody to help him who's inside the police force, but he dupes him and he finds out and he, um, he runs out. Yeah, well, anyway, I, I won't go into the details, but he gets killed. But the, but the Bohr maker, the nanotech device is in his body and his body is discovered in the river by these people, these people who live in this slum. And they're trying to pick him up to put him into this uh, receptacle that will make nutrients. It just it converts the body into nutrients. It's called fluff and they can live on it. But this device ejects itself as this woman's picking him up and goes into her. And it describes how you know, her senses change and she's able to project, you know, be able to send out uh, nanotech devices that the Bohr maker has made. And she can, she becomes a healer and she starts getting notice and then the police start coming after her. And so a lot of the book is about her and Nyko, who of course they find out about, um, of course, the chief of police knew about him already because she was having a relationship with him. Um, she seemed to have some uh, perverse pride in having a relationship with somebody who was violating the laws that she was supporting, but she knew he was supposed to die. So she kind of, she has a, she had some problems, um, but she was very radical in her belief that she was protecting the earth from runaway nanotechnology and stuff, because if, it's, if it were to get out, then people would be changing themselves and, and, you know, everything would be out of control then. 
So the most of the book is about the hunt for this device. Uh, and of course, um, they, uh, well, I don't want to spoil it too much. Uh, I like the ending. Uh, and if you know me, you probably know what that means. Um, but um, it's, it's a, I thought it was pretty good. It was a first novel that won a Locus Award for best novel of 1996 or 1995. And it's pretty good. I don't think it's great, but I enjoyed it enough to want to keep reading, you know, uh, the second of the book. I just finished the second one and it's going to get, let's see, will proofread it here shortly. And it'll probably be approved by the next meeting. And then there's one after that, which is rated only good. So I don't even need an excuse to replace that one. Uh, but the second one is rated excellent. And I'm going to, I already have the notes written up. It's got about, it's got similar problems to the first one. So I can justify rescanning it and doing a really good quality version of it. But um, it's really pretty interesting. Um, she's, she's pretty imaginative. Our characters are pretty good. They're probably not up to, you know, some people's standards, but I think, you know, at least a few of the characters are pretty well drawn. Uh, there's a, quite a bit of suspense. There's a lot of imagination in it. Um, so I, I thought it was good. I'm going to, I'm, uh, I'm recommending it to people who want something a little, you know, further out. Only this book's not as far out as the sequels, but it's pretty good. Um, and that's it. That's all I have for this. Oh, I'm, I'm still working on the space opera Renaissance. Um, some of the stories are pretty good. There's a David Brin story. There's a Lois McMaster Bujold story, which I don't care for. I, don't think she's very imaginative. Um, Ian Banks has a culture story in it. Um, Dan Simmons, all the all the big space opera people have stories in it, and some that weren't quite so big. Um, that's the one that I talked about last month. That's sixty nine hours long. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and I'm about twenty three hours into it, so I've, I'm not even a third of the way through. And it's like I've already read a long novel, but I'm enjoying it. Um, um, J.P. Linton narrates it, and he's a good narrator. So um, I'm enjoying it quite a lot. So I'm going to just put a plug in for that. If anybody wants, you know, something, if you don't like the story you have, there are plenty of others that you're bound to find something in there you'll like if you like anything remotely connected with space opera. Uh, and, of course, there and, and another aspect of this book that's great is there's, quite a bit of, you know, there are notes at the beginning of the stories. There's a note at the beginning of each section. It's divided into sections uh, that talk a lot about the field and how, you know, the space opera definition has changed and how, you know, how, you know, political, there were political motives for uh, dissing space opera. You know, when the new wave came along, you know, there was, there was a lot of political uh, stuff going on in the late 60s and early 70s with the new wave and how they tried to ridicule it. And then, of course, it became one of the most popular genres in all the last few decades. And and that's what you're reading. That's what you read, Martin. That's what you read last month. And that's what you'll be reading with these Hamilton books mm, is right. pure space opera. It's widescreen space opera with aliens and lots of interplanetary adventure and exactly. good stuff. It's one of my favorite genres. It's not the only one I like, but it's one of the big ones that I like too. So anyway, um, 
the next meeting of the Science Fiction Club will be on November 11th, 2021.